Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the blatant hate and trolls. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get Uh, assuming that the world doesn't end, uh, this podcast is scheduled to be posted on Tuesday, November 8th, perhaps better known as Election Day here in the U.S., uh, unless you're listening to it right away. Uh, and if you do, you're awesome. Thank you. Um, many of you listening to this will probably already know the results of our presidential election this year. Um, we are not going to be discussing the election directly or the two major party candidates or the third party ones who have no chance of getting elected anyway. However, uh, given what I, I would say a total dumpster fire this entire election has been, I wanted to see if maybe we could talk about ways to get better candidates overall. Between the two of them, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are the least liked major party presidential candidates ever. That's quite a feat. And frankly, none of the third party candidates are all that great either once you start looking at them. Oh, and also it's arguable that none of the other folks who challenged any of those other candidates in the primaries were all that wonderful either. So having a whole bunch of not so great candidates for president is not the most wonderful situation in the world. Our political system for finding and electing a president seems to be a complete mess. So <laughs> there are a lot of arguments for why this is, and I've seen strong support for the whole issue of how both major parties have taken data-driven gerrymandering of election districts to new heights, creating insane polarization, and that's definitely, I think, a key driver of this. And it's possible that the answer to figuring out better presidential candidates is to actually deal with, with that and dump gerrymandered districts. But I wanted to think a little bit larger. Every so often, especially around election time, <laughs> there are debates on better ways to do democracy. Here in the U.S., of course, we have this very odd contraption called the Electoral College system, which follows perhaps an even odder primary system. I think people don't realize how the primary system involving direct election of each party's nominees is a relatively new concept and also perhaps part of the problem since it involves finding candidates that appeal best to the base of each party rather than the one uh, that will be the best overall for the nation. There are strong arguments for getting rid of the Electoral College completely and going to other systems such as a direct popular vote. There are also strong arguments for dumping the winner-take-all nature of the Electoral College votes in most states. Not everyone, but most states say that you know, whichever, whoever wins the most in that state gets all of the Electoral College votes in that state. Uh, it doesn't matter what people think, um, because every Electoral College vote in California, here in California, will go to Hillary Clinton. That's almost definite. Um, and that's just the way it is. There are some debates about how you might split up electoral college votes otherwise, uh, whether it's proportional or by districts. Um, some of the ideas that people have come up with are things like adding extra electoral votes for winning the popular vote to counteract the ability of someone to win the electoral college while losing the popular vote. 
lots of other countries, of course, have parliamentary systems where each party has a system for electing its own leader internally, and then whichever party wins up with the most seats in their parliament have that leader become the prime minister. There are also other systems, like ones that involve continued runoffs uh, until someone achieves 50% of the popular vote. One of the most interesting, to me at least, is what's known as the Condorcet method, which is uh, in some sense similar to the instant runoffs um, that I was just discussing, but not exactly the same. In this case, you have voters rank the candidates, and then via a pretty simple algorithm, all the candidates are effectively pitted against one another, one-to-one, to figure out which one is supported by more uh, than any other against each of the other candidates. This also has the benefit of killing off the ridiculousness today in which when you vote for a third party, it's often effectively a vote helping one of the other major party candidates. Of course, it also has problems such as situations in which no candidate actually wins or in which a candidate that nobody actually prefers the most uh, is able to win. Either way, there are lots of ideas beyond just those, and I thought it would be actually fun to discuss them while everyone listening to this is probably sick of how the Electoral College itself uh, works. So we've got our usual co-hosts today, Hirsch Reddy and Dennis Yang, and let's kick it off first by giving your thoughts on the Electoral College system itself and uh, whether or not um, whether or not you think it's a good idea. So Hirsch, I'm going to start with you. So... I, I think the electoral college system is not perfect, um, and certainly it has its shares of, of critics, but how many times has it really mattered whether we have sort of a direct vote versus an electoral college vote? Uh, I, I know, obviously, the Gore versus Bush election right. is, you know, comes to mind. That's the example that everyone will give. Yeah, right? exactly. But and, and certainly, you know, eight years isn't a short amount of time, but sort of from a sort of systems perspective, it's it isn't the time. Look, the election was close enough that if that small number of votes sure. in Florida was going to change the, you know, the the entire fate of the country, you, you could say like any number of other variables could have also kind of changed the yeah, election but, outcome. So, but, but I would take a step back, right? So I, I think that um, there's a different argument to be included in this too, which is that like, yeah, like, okay, if you're just comparing like direct popular vote versus electoral college, like the differences in the results in our, our you know, 200 and, you know, whatever plus years of existence in the U.S., it wouldn't have made that big of a difference directly in the results of those elections if you had the same exact setup. But the idea is that with some of these other systems, you might not have this sort of enforced two-party view, and you could also get in different candidates and different views. And like, you know, the, the thing that people don't talk about as much with the the uh, Bush versus Gore election is, you know, Ralph Nader was a, a third party mm-hmm. candidate in that election. Um, you know, and, and I'm not going to get into the like, well, how, you know, how, you could go back even further and talk about Ross Perot. And sure. Clinton, you know, for a while, Ross Perot was actually leading in the polls. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, Bill Clinton was third uh, behind George Bush and Ross Perot was first at that time. Yeah. But um, but regardless, uh, you know, he, he, People have criticisms of the two-party system, as do I, but I think we shouldn't ignore the fact that places, you know, that have like a parliamentary system, also there are drawbacks to having many, many parties. Sure. Uh, And, you know, just to bring up sort of the biggest one is like if you look at the way sort of politics works in a place like India, 
mm-hmm. uh, or Israel for that matter, you can often see small regional parties with very narrow focuses and sometimes very extreme views uh, essentially playing the kingmaker role because right. because two larger, more kind of mainstream and centrist parties will fight it out at the elections and they will neither one of them will have the majority and they'll need to reach out to partners. And then that essentially elevates these very fringe groups to have a disproportionate effect on national policy. And uh, depending on what the policies are that they have a passion for, this can range from sort of harmless to maybe a little off-putting to like extremely damaging for the country, right? Whether it's foreign policy or it's internal policy. And so in a vast country like America, if we did not have a two-party system, it would be inevitable that regional special interests, um, whether they be religious or uh, or based on some kind of regional economic interest, right? Uh, those types of interests would certainly form political, local, powerful political coalitions, and would serve as kind of uh, deliverers of votes, essentially, to, to parties in the center in order to get. Um, their agendas passed, so you can. Right, add, it's the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, but isn't the that what co- coalition building? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, co- coalition buildings in the you know works in those cases, but isn't that kind of what happened in this most current presidential election? Is that usually it's a race to the middle, but this time, like a not centrist candidate ended up being one of the major party candidates. Right? So, well, you know. We, we, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, Mike mentioned in the intro that this, that this podcast is going to come out on Election Day. So maybe, maybe what I'm about to say will sound very naive <laughs> in a few days. But um, I think sort of America has a little bit of centrism built into it. And I think, I think the, the, you know, Trumpism is a real thing and it's not going to go away after this election. Yes. And I acknowledge there's probably things that we had considered on the fringe that are probably a little bit more mainstream than we would have hoped. But having said that, the um, being the coalition kind of building the, that happens within the parties versus the kind of coalition building that happens in sort of a parliamentary mm-hmm. system are very different. Um, and I think it, the sort of coalition building that you see in sort of the parliamentary systems kind of resembles more kind of um, the sort of coalitions, uh, no, I wouldn't even call it coalitions, but the type but isn't of... Isn't it poli- more fluid? It's more fluid, right? Well, like, I was going to say it's fluid. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is like, if you rem- if you look back at sort of the time before prohibition passed, right, the constant- mm-hmm. constitutional amendment that made alcohol illegal, it was pushed by this kind of, uh, I can't remember the name of the party or the group, but it was like a prohibition party, right? And they were Temperance, a one, yeah. well, they, they were the what? Temperance party. Right. And they essentially had a one issue, they were a one issue party. And they would go into any jurisdiction and they would essentially say, if you don't support this issue, we will make sure that you aren't elected. And they became sort of a very fearsome opponent, right? To the mm-hmm. extent that candidates had a lot of different things that their, that their uh, constituents worried about. Mm-hmm. And they just, they weren't going to necessarily win on the backs of the temperance party, but they could certainly lose if they went up against them. So it was kind of like everyone just kind of lined up, right? Not to piss off the temperance party. Yeah, but we're, we're yeah. seeing that, we that see sounds the same. like what we have right now. <laughs> yeah, no, like, no, and right. we have Tea Party, which is effectively yeah, but, does the same thing. Yeah. But but I think the difference with the temperance the party NRA, is have, they you know. crossed party lines, right? And the thing that the NRA doesn't do is the NRA is pretty much a Republican animal, right? And they do do that to sort of Republican candidates. But mm-hmm. you you will still see occasionally Republican candidates from liberal places essentially 
being kind of more, not completely centrist, but more towards the center in terms of gun rights. And you will also see Democratic candidates like, for example, Bernie Sanders be a little bit more sympathetic towards the NRA as well. Mm -hmm. But you don't see a large number of Democrats doing that, right? And in the, they, in the time of the Temperance Party, I think both parties essentially had people that were kind of in the pocket of the Temperance Party. Not in the pocket, but were sort of endorsed by Right. And not opposed by the temperance. Party. Yeah. And well, I think, you know, I, I think it should be said. Right. And and I think there is actually like a theorem out there that sort of tries to mathematically prove this, that like no voting system is perfect. Right. <laughs> like I mean, no, every single voting system has flaws and is mm -hmm. open to gaming in some way or another. Yep. And and, you know, eventually those flaws come, you know, you know, come front and center in terms of, you know, an election here or there gets messed up. So it's the like question pick, is pick which flaws you want. Right. <laughs> and, and how do you and, and yeah. or, you know, or which ones can you minimize and kind of which ones can you live with? And, you know, one argument is like, well, you know, we've lived with this existing system for, for so long. But, yeah, you know, but I mean, but it, I, I will say, like, having grown up in Ohio, I'm a big fan of the electoral college <laughs> system, <laughs> well, and which is another thing which, uh, you know, I didn't even mention, which is right. I mean, the yeah. reality is that, like, there are a small number of battleground states yeah. and the presidential elections only matter in those states and the rest of the states, you know, I mentioned California in the opening at least where like, I mean, there, you say they matter. no, it matters everywhere. And the reason why it still matters here in California is because, you know, obviously if something, if people didn't vote, that would sway the election immensely. Right. Yeah. But, but you know, but here in California, I, we don't get nearly as much presidential campaign attention as we did in Ohio when I was growing up. The um, only reason the candidates come here is to raise money. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the fact, right? They're not here to campaign. They know what's going to happen here. They know what's going to happen in the majority of states, right? It's a small group of, of you know, battleground right. states, which, you know, depending on how you qualify them, is, you know, in the... And, and But look at the, the flip side of it, right? So I think it's actually, you know, the Electoral College basically puts us into a, a state where candidates are campaigning in the battleground states. If, we, if we're doing it by popular vote, then mm -hmm. they would kind of double down in their bases, right? So they would go to where they have 60 or 70 percent of the vote and try to get, you know, 80, 90 percent of the vote. And, and basically, like, I feel like it would pull the nation even further apart by Well, well that's if you did so. pure popular vote. What if you did, you know, you broke down the electoral mm -hmm. college votes by, you know, at a district level, for example, right? I see. So it's not so so California does have kind of parts of California that yeah there's large parts yeah. of California that are red right I mean all of Central Valley basically and so you know parts of of Orange County as well like so you could have you know you would at least effectively force candidates to to campaign to campaign a little bit more much more widely yeah mm. <laughs> I just I, really I, I don't, no, I just don't understand why that's necessarily a good thing. I, you, I don't you, know why you, the candidates you, need to go to well, every state. I mean, I just I mean, okay, like the whole thing of like actually going to every state, like you know, some people talk about that, and it, it, maybe that's silly, but like this is an election to represent all of us, right? Yeah, but to some extent, I feel like when there's a lot of emphasis on going to individual states, what what happens in places where where candidates really do go to every state, right? Like in India, what happens is like you see a lot of really crass 
type of regional pandering where it's like, oh, I'm going to make sure that a shipyard is built here. I'm going to make sure that you guys specifically get this highway money and you guys are going to get these job programs. Nobody else is going to get it. And America has been like, you know, it's, it's been pretty damn good. Like, to, like we, we would think with the electoral system, the way that entire states electorate are kind of delivered up as a loaf, as a lump sum, <laughs> that you would think that would really make it sort of would actually make it worse, right? Like where, where yeah, small sure. states really would push for these kinds of unfair SOPs. But you don't really see that so much uh, in, the, in the presidential election. Certainly senators uh, from various states do try to get pork for their, um, for their uh, electorates. But, but the presidential election really feels more like a national election here where we're talking about national policy issues. And people don't stand up in a debate and say, what are you doing for Ohio? Can right. I get a steel plant? It's more kind of <laughs> like while they do ask for things that are protectionist, they will kind of ask for it in combination with Mississippi and Michigan and all of us together. We all want some kind of a tariff, right? Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, battleground states, there is some of that pandering. I don't think it's entirely um, free of that kind of pandering. But but I, I get your point that yeah. that it, it is sort of it's restricted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the election is meant to be like we're picking one president, right? And the process should feel like it unifies the nation somehow. Um, and, you know, if you look at when, when presidents do kind of win an entire state, it, it, looks, it looks like we're all kind of voting together, even though, yes, technically the, the percentage of the vote. Yeah, have, but it, you know? I mean, it also gives, gives rise to this, this whole, you know, sort of concept of like blue states and red states and, you know, like, you know, the, like the coasts are one thing and yeah. the center of the country is another. And that's really inaccurate yeah. too, right? I mean, and I, and I think when you, if you look at the previous election maps by county, it shows a much more kind of evenly distributed yeah. Totally. Country versus the red state, blue state. It's, no, really, it's really more cities versus rural areas, right? That's kind of more yeah. often, and even that's not entirely accurate. But yeah, to to some extent, it, it definitely is. True. Is there so, any place in America where it's um, Republican city surrounded by a blue countryside? Like I've never seen that in the counting maps. Uh, I haven't looked closely enough to to know, but. There, yeah. there may be, but we'll look. There we <laughs> should look, but at first glance, I don't think that's. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's the kind of geography you find here. It's, it's possible, but so so. Let me ask this, and this I wasn't originally. I sort of mentioned in the opening. I wasn't necessarily sure I was going to go down this path, but now I, I am thinking about it based on what you guys are talking about, mm -hmm. which is like, does the primary system influence this? Right, because like historically, like going way back, oftentimes like the candidates in each party were sort of just picked by the party leaders the idea of switching to an actual popular vote system to pick the candidates for each party which you know people think is like such a big part of the system is a fairly recent invention mm -hmm. um and you know and, and the argument before was like when you had sort of party leaders picking it that does not feel democratic at all but you could get out of it you know candidates who were you know more likely to be liked by across you know, uh, you know, across party lines, whereas a system that is just, you know, voting party voting gives you one that is more, you know, red team, blue team. So should we should we ditch the, the primary, the popular vote primary system or, or come up with something different? Yeah, <laughs> that's like a, such a tough question. So, I mean, on the one hand, when you have a primary system, you have the danger of things like demagogues, 
right? Uh-huh. Uh, on the other hand, if you have your party elders choosing um, your party yep. leaders, <laughs> you have the problem that you have in India, which is essentially you get dynasties, political dynasties. Sure, and you get just cronyism in general. Cronyism in general, yeah. right. Um, and and poli- corruption. Yeah, and corruption. And generally, in most societies, uh, the political class is usually the most craven and useless. <laughs> so, and, and, and essentially anything that allows kind of more open entry into the political trade, I think is usually good. Like, in other words, not having to be someone who starts as like a party worker at the age of 16, working all the way up through the party in order to be a party leader, which is kind yeah. of how it works in like India, right? You don't just come in as somebody who was in business for like 30 years and decides to serve the country and just kind of slot in and just become like a, a senator or something, right? Uh, although that does occasionally happen, so I, shouldn't just, I shouldn't say it never happens. But but the American way of kind of having a primary allows someone to kind of short circuit the ass kicking that happens internally within <laughs> political parties mm-hmm. to just kind of come in and sweep up the electorate essentially for that party, which is what Trump did. It can be bad, but it can also be good. I mean, uh, let's say I mean I'm trying to think of a, somebody like a, a, a Barack Obama in 2008 would not have won a contest against Hillary Clinton if sure. the selection process was run by the party elders because she had sort of paid her dues and yeah. people's attitude within the party was like why doesn't this guy wait his turn after eight years he'll still be a young man he could totally run and you know he was like a freshman senator right yep. so people felt a lot of people did feel like he was cutting the line and it was only possible to have an Obama presidency of the kind we saw with him still a young man because they went right to the people so that kind of stuff um, so but but you know so I I agree so so the party elder I mean that's not a good system I think we all agree that the, like the party elder system is is problematic but but you know should, maybe I, should I argue the devil's advocate I couldn't <laughs> I can't but uh, all right quickly because I, I, I want to go on to the from no, this but go ahead no, quick. Uh, so I was just gonna say the, the party elder system is the same reason why we have senators with a longer uh, tenure than the house right I mean it's a kind of a cooling off thing it's a kind of a separation of the at least a portion of the political power from sort of the angry mob right mm-hmm. so in other words it, it, it gives you it, remember party elders only work within the party so the electric as electorate as a whole can still choose some wild uh, revolutionary so long as he wins some other party's leadership right mm-hmm. and if uh, if a party is very calcified then the opponents have certainly have a incentive to choose someone who's charismatic outsider young in order to sort of win an election against their opponents so there is still some incentive built in the system to to take someone who looks kind of outside the norm right uh, and so it, that doesn't completely disappear so. yeah I, I think that's true like maybe maybe there's an argument there that you know if, if you have a party elder system which I still I'm just not comfortable with but um, if you have that system that they then have incentives to look at the broader election and sort of who's going to be most electable and therefore you can find potentially better candidates or at least you know more likable candidates um, now so but let's talk about a little bit about some of the other kind of election systems that I talked about, like, you know, the the like instant runoff voting mm-hmm. um, or the Condorcet methods or, or, you know, and maybe those are, are things that could be used within the primary system as well um, to create better candidates out of the primary system for then the general election. 
Do we have any opinion <laughs> on those? <laughs> I mean, the, so the the Condorcet method is one that I I always yeah, sort of that? go back to as the most interesting, right? So this is the one where you sort of rank the candidates, and and there are different ways of doing this. And I've seen another sort of version of this, which is like called range voting, where you give each candidate, like you know, you can have as many candidates as you want, but you give each sort of a score. It could be like you know zero to one hundred or something. And then you and can, every individual is doing this kind of uh-huh. ranking of other candidates. Right. Yeah. So you can rank. So so the more standard Condorcet one is you just rank them in order. You just you know you have five candidates. You rank them one through five. Yeah. Um, I think you know the, the, they actually say you can you can do tie, ties. So you can you know put two equal. Yeah, I, think, and, I mean San Francisco. And, we have we have like the the ordered candidates. So we have like instant runoff. Mm-hmm. Right. For yep. A lot of our positions, which is nice because then you you don't have to reopen the polls up to do runoffs. And if there are right. kind of close ties, you can just rerun it immediately. Yeah, and and I mean, so Condorcet and, and Instant Runoff are similar, but not quite the same. Yeah, um, and they do come to sometimes different results, but but the the basic concepts are the same. Where it's just like when you have a multitude of candidates that you can sort of put them all into effectively a ranking system and then try and optimize on that. You know, it's just kind of the method behind it is is a little bit different. Um, and so one of the things, one of the problems I have with kind of the more complex systems, which are kind of mathematically sort of better in some ways, mm-hmm. is that I think one of the values that the political system should have is uh, transparency and simplicity. Yeah. And, and though these are fairly simple algorithms from the point of view of someone that's taken sort of college calculus, you know, for example. Yeah, they're I, even simpler. Than that. I mean, they uh, go back pretty far. Some of sure. These I mean, that, but... Hey, look, man, like uh, calculus <laughs> goes back pretty far, too. Remember, sure, Newton sure. invented it. So going back far is in sort of a measure of simplicity. I think the issue you have with these kinds of systems is, it, especially the kind that can produce ties, or, or rather than ties, I should say, that can produce a result where an unpopular ca- uh, candidate somehow wins against everybody else who's way more popular than them. Like those kinds of outcomes feel deeply illegitimate to the everyman, I, I think. And I, you know, I don't know if that's uh, a if I can speak for the every man, but I, I, putting myself in the shoes of someone that isn't sort of living and breathing these kinds of election systems, I can see how someone would be really pissed off if, let's say, let's take in the U.S. case, if if we had all these different candidates fighting this really tough election, it was very contentious. Some people really hated Hillary. Some people really hated uh, Donald Trump, and some people were okay with Gary. Johnson, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, what's her name? Uh, The the Green Party candidate, Jennifer Stein? Jill Stein. Jill Stein. All of a sudden, Jill Stein's the president (laughs) because of some weird way. Well, uh, there is, there is, someone was discussing, there's, you know, there's that independent Republican candidate, um, McMullen. McMullen, right. Yeah, who, there's a chance that he could win Utah, and then someone had worked out like a whole, you know, complex theory where that then creates a tie which could eventually actually lead to mcmullen becoming president which is you know not going to happen but like yes that there there is a a complex way in which that is a a possible outcome and then everyone would feel really upset except possibly (laughs) people in utah oh i wouldn't be upset i mean i'm sure he's fine (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure. Do you know sure, anything about him? <laughs> I, I know enough. I read a little bit about him. Like he's young enough and sort of naive enough that he would just take a lot of advice from a lot of people. Probably. I mean, he he's he's not going to be like 
absolutely crazy. Then again, he's an ex-CIA guy, so like, yeah. what do I know? Yeah. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But so, uh, yeah, but 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 I get your point. Where where like if it feels like like a system like that allows someone but but that's the idea like like with instant runoff and with Condorcet, like that kind of thing shouldn't happen right i mean they should to 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 win they still have to have you know enough support that people are at least comfortable enough they may not be people's first choice but they'd be sort of you know like a, a second choice vote in a lot of cases that people are like okay you know i'm comfortable with this yeah but look a political system in which that rewards kind of second choices and re- and kind of really disins- but it, disincentivizes it, well, no, 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 no. Let's be clear. It's It doesn't reward second places. No, right? no, no, no. But let me reformulate what I'm saying. I, I do understand it doesn't reward second place. But what it does is it heavily punishes being pushed to the bottom, right? It okay. heavily punishes polarizing candidates. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, sure. in modern states and modern economies, there are a lot of issues that are very good for a country, but that will create polarization because it creates losers. It makes everybody kind of a winner, but it creates some really big losers. Like, so for example, if I am a candidate that wants to eliminate the sugar beet, uh, uh, the sugar subsidy in the United States, that's very good for everyone. Your, your favorite subsidy? Yeah, my, my, my yeah, my favorite subsidy to rail about. It, it, it's it's a great subsidy to eliminate, but then you can imagine me like really suffering in Minnesota, right? And or and with certain sugar producers, right? Mm-hmm. And so they would see, really no, vote okay. me down. And, yeah. But but you see what I'm saying? So essentially, yeah, no, people I, would I, want I, to be like that. really un- unassuming kind of center of the road. And essentially, what you would get is. A bunch, you know, Harry Enten from 538 says this thing, which I think is like really uh, great for this election. He says, the candidate who stays out of the news is going to win the election, right? And that's kind of the system that you guys are proposing. Essentially, just stay out of the news, just kind of have enough peripheral kind of recognition that people are just kind of like, okay, I'll slot this guy at two or three. But I definitely (laughs) don't want to put him at the bottom because he doesn't seem as bad as this other guy that I really know I hate, right? Like, you just kind of, just don't offend anyone and you'll get in eventually, right? Like, it's that kind of a system. Maybe. I don't know if that's healthy. Maybe. But I mean, I don't know. I mean... I would hope that it would promote a candidate who basically, you know, can go up there and show real leadership and say, like, you know, here's why the sugar beet subsidy is bad. And I I know, like, you know, that's idealistic and it's never actually going to happen. But, like, wouldn't it be great if we actually had candidates who were willing to, like, you know, face facts and say, like, yeah, the sugar beet, you know, subsidy helps this small group of folks here. But, you know, it harms everything else and we need to fix it. But... I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you're going to make a system that will make that even less likely, right? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think if you had a candidate who came out and was honest about these things, like, you could get a lot of votes, right? So, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> it really, what it would really depend on in that situation to be kind of more scientific about it is how many people kind of have a passion for getting rid of subsidies versus how many people are kind of involved in the sugar industry and really benefit from the subsidies, right? Like, that's kind of... The, yeah, the but balance I, see, the thing is, like, I, I don't know. I would like to believe that there, that it is possible to explain to people who are going to be, you know, on the on the negative receiving end of, of a policy decision why, you know, yeah. for the good of the country, it's, uh, you know, they should how, be okay with it. How is that working with tariffs on steel or any number or like, you know, trade sanctions with China? Well, no, I mean, it, it well, you know, in some cases it, it has worked and in other cases it doesn't. Like, I, I think it's, it is also a little bit like, I mean, you can make the same argument about like, 
clean energy or, or things like that and like you know coal production and yeah like you know lots of people will vote directly for their own short-term self-interest but there are lots of people who are involved in those industries who sort of recognize the you know the reality of where things are heading and the fact that they have to change and adapt and so i think i, I don't know i mean i i i'm troubled by the idea that that any election system has to involve just sort of pure pandering to everyone <laughs> but but maybe it does elections are nothing but kind of institutionalized pandering like i don't think that's a bad <laughs> thing i mean that's what a democracy is a democracy in a modern democracy is just about kind of scientific pandering you do all these focus groups and you essentially try to pander as much <laughs> as possible. scientific pandering maybe that should be the title of this podcast <laughs> i mean i mean if you look at the way people kind of structure their public speeches how they kind of like very carefully maneuver not to say what their policies are i mean like look hillary clinton even said look i have a public position on things and a private position on things right and and this is and i, I don't even i don't see why people got so worked up about that it's for people that kind of know how the system works obviously you need to do that and even trump i'm sure has some like public oh, and sure, private positions that are different it's, it's just the way you get things done if anything it just yeah. kind of shows that someone is kind of an expert at the way politics works and and i don't think I don't think kind of it's necessarily a healthy thing to kind of um, to make an assumption that like certain ways that our political system, the way it works, which on first blush might seem kind of anti-democratic, are necessarily bad in a, in a systems kind of way. Right. Because like I, I don't I, in a lot of ways, the American system is set up to kind of hamper pure democracy as much as possible. Right, like to throw the roadblocks in the way, because I, I I don't know if this was the founding fathers kind of purposely engineering it that way, or if it was just a happy happenstance. But it, it turns out that like mobs of people are really not that good at kind of figuring out what kind of policies <laughs> are going to actually be good for them, right? Uh, in the long run, sure. I mean, we can see with trade that happens all the time, right? Sure. And and so the the institutions of the government kind of evolve ways to kind of just do things without essentially informing the people or kind of keeping things out of the way of people of public scrutiny. Not because there's something ne necessarily nefarious going on, but just because doing the thing that's best for the greater good just looks unpopular at yeah. first blush, right? Yeah, and no, and, and I get that. But I mean, that's going, that's going a little beyond. Like the question of like, how do you create good policy in the face of, you know, special interests or personal interests or, or whatever? You know that's a big issue, and we're not going to answer that now. <laughs> and no. I think we're we're basically out of time on this one, anyways. It, it, it's, I'm, I, yeah, I, I agree, and I, you know it goes back to the fact that like none of these systems are great, and all of them have problems, and they're you know from from a, a just thinking about it, that bothers me, right? <laughs> you you want to find a, a system that creates <laughs> You're an over optimizing. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, just kind of at my closing right. point, which is that. I think you can have a more classic Greek style, you know, or Athenian style of, of direct democracy, like really idealistic kind of democracy in smaller political unions, right? Like a town hall really works yeah. in a small town. Sure. And, it, and if you can somehow kind of devolve responsibilities to small and smaller political units, I think it's more possible to kind of have these more sort of idealistic systems. But I think as you have a greater distance between you and the capital physically and sort of in terms of kind of the distance between you and your representatives in terms of how many people they represent, I think all kinds of other problems 
come up, which you could avoid with a smaller system. Yeah, I think that's 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 a fair point to make, and a, and a pretty good concluding point. Uh, Dennis, do you have anything you want to conclude on? No, I mean, I think the systems right now are, are they're complicated, but I kind of like the way they are, as imperfect as as they are. Yeah, I I think they could be improved. I'm just not entirely <laughs> sure how. Um, and so I just, you know, I just wish that we had better candidates uh, on a regular <laughs> basis. I, I, I just wish we had a system that, that brought together candidates and brought out candidates that, you know, I, I thought were, were better overall. And I, I don't see That's that. That's a whole other episode. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, on that uh, optimistic note, <laughs> uh, go vote if you haven't voted and you're listening to this on Tuesday. And if it's after Tuesday, hopefully, you know, the United States is still standing. <laughs> 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 All right. I will. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, Happy next voting. Week. <laughs> Happy voting with uh, something else. So. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.